prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. The creator of the universe gave it to us so we could have direct access to him. God hears you, whether it is in your daily things or the hardest moments, through the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit, he empowers you as you draw near to him. God is faithful in every circumstance, and he promises to deliver you from your situation. The answer to your prayers is God. His ways are higher. His thoughts for you are greater than you could ever think or imagine. He desires to build a deep relationship with you, and that happens through prayer. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. And all of you who are joining us online, worshiping the Lord together with us, we're so grateful that you are a part of this service to welcome to Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Well, every, every Father's Day at, at this moment, we, we have the exact same scenario that we have this weekend. We have VBS, we have Father's Day, we have Juneteenth. All these things happen about the same time. So how many of you, first of all, we had vacation Bible school, tw- over 2,800. Can you believe that? More than any other uh, time VBS that we've ever had. It's incredible and absolutely incredible. If you served in any capacity in VBS, would you stand right now? Yay, God, for you. You are amazing. You are wonderful. Look what you did. We are so grateful for you. Now, I'm going to ask all the dads, would all the fathers stand right now? And we want to say to you, yay, God, for you. You are incredible. Look at all these dads. Yay, God, for dads. Thank you. Juneteenth happens tomorrow, and Juneteenth is simply the day, it's June 19th, the the last day of slavery in the state of Texas. When it finally, the news got to Texas that the slaves were free at the end of uh, the Civil War. And it is now a national holiday. All these things are happening at the same time, do every year, and here we are. It has been an incredible, incredible week. We've been going through um, a series on prayer, and we do every so often, and here we are back, and it has sort of been a rotation kind of thing. Two weeks ago, I was teaching at the Richmond-Rosenberg campus. It's so good to see people's face that were here all these years, and here they are, and new, new members' faces, and then at the Missouri City campus last week. Uh, you got, over these last couple of weeks, from Pastor uh, Xavier, the basics on prayer, the, what the Bible's teaching in Psalms about the, being fervent in prayer and, and understanding how to connect with God. And last week, it was the barriers of prayer that you got to overcome. Pastor Tim did such a great job of talking about these barriers that stand between us and God, and those barriers must be removed. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the idea of praying the will of God. So why is it so important that we pray the will of God? Well, because of 1 John chapter 5 and verses 14 and 15. And notice what he says. And this is the confidence that we have in God. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, 
We have whatever we ask of God. It's a pretty strong statement if you think about it. He says, you pray the will of God, and it is absolutely certain you'll get it. The answer is going to always be yes. You pray God's will, the answer will always be yes. We don't know when, we don't know how, but it's coming. You can take it to the bank because you prayed the will of God. That's the confidence. He says, it's the confidence that we have. You think about it, it makes total sense. If you think about it, it makes sense. If you pray the will of God, he already wants to give it to you. He's already decided, yes, this is the best thing that I could do for you. I want to bless you. If you pray the will of God and you say, God, I'm asking you for this, and God's orders, yeah, I want to give that to you. Well, then, of course, it's a slam dunk. You're going to get it. It makes total sense. This verse makes total sense. So it also makes sense that we learn how to understand the will of God in our lives. Uh, John Stott was uh, a, a Christian theologian. You've probably never heard of him before, but he's a great guy. He was just an incredible theologian, and he made this statement. It, it's not exactly his words, but it's close. This idea, he said, God did not invent, he did not give us prayer so that we would know how to change his mind about his will. God wants us to have one thing. We cry and moan and complain to the point he finally gives in to our will. He didn't create prayer so that we could change the will of God. He gave us prayer so that he could change our will to match his will. And then he could say yes to what we ask. So it's learning how to change our will to his will. So how do we find the will of God and pray the will of God? Well, the first principle is this. I can know God's will by yielding to God's word. Here's the verse. In Psalm 119, verse 105, thy word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Your word. In first century, uh, they, they didn't have the stuff we have today for light. And so just, I, I actually own a first century lamp. It's a replication. And it's just made out of clay. It's not worth a lot. I can't find it. We moved a couple years ago, and now I can't find it. It's in some box. But it's about, okay, it's about this size right here, the size of my palms, and it has a, a little piece that comes up here that has a little pincher to it, and you put the wick in there and the wick down into the bowl that has the oil. That's where it is, and there's a handle on the other side. So there you are holding it, and you got this one candle power. One candle power. Now, there's no moon. It's nighttime, no moon, no stars. You, you know the general direction of where you're needing to go, and you get out your, your lamp, and... So what, what happens with that? Well, I don't have that New Testament lamp with me right now, but so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a three-candle power right here. Yes, this is my wife's. And, I, ooh, I'm about to get burned. I, I don't, I don't want to do a two-candle. Three-candle, here we go. Now, okay, here it is. Now, guys, I want you to bring the lights all the way down. It ain't much. This is three, well, now two candles, one went out. Two candle power. <clears throat> so 
Here was the idea. You have enough light to take one step. I'm not going to take a step on this platform. It is a long ways down, and I don't know where the end is. So I'm just going to pretend that you take a step, and then you got enough light for the next step. Then you got enough light for the next step. And that was the idea. That's it. Now, I appreciate this if I have absolutely nothing at all, but somebody gave me this, and I like this flashlight. Do you see this? I'm knowing. I would shine it at you, but you would be so mad at me because it's so powerful, it blinds you. This is what I want. I can see five miles down the road. Now I know everything. But God says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you this. Why? Because if I only know one step at a time, I'll have to trust God. I'll have to walk with God one step at a time. Now here's what he says. My word is this. It is a light under your path. All of you watching online, I am so sorry. I have put you in the dark. So let's bring the lights back up. This is the idea. And what God is saying is this. Would you take my Bible seriously? And I mean it. Would you take my Bible seriously? My word. My word is a light. Now, I'll only show you one step at a time. And then you've got to take another step and another step. You've got to keep following my word. But my word is a light to your path. What I'm telling you is that you don't have to pray for the will of God for most things in your life. And the reason is because the Bible has already shown God's will. Let me give you an example. God, is it your will that I have an intimate sexual relationship with another person who's not my spouse? You don't have to pray that. You don't even have to pray it. Here's why. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will. He has already told you. In fact, there's a whole 100 other verses that say the same thing but are more explicit about what all that means. I had, several churches ago, I had someone that walked up to me and uh, it was, a, it was a, a man and woman. They said, uh, well, we prayed, and God told us that uh, we didn't have to be married and that we could have this intimate relationship and we didn't have to be married. And, they, and so we're just doing the will of God. And I said, well, it wasn't God that told you that. Somebody did tell you, but it wasn't, it wasn't God. And, oh, she got incensed. How dare you tell me? I said, well, I couldn't on my own, but I can read this verse to you and opened up first Thessalonians and I said see it says it is God's will that you not so I know somebody told you but it wasn't God the Bible is so clear and he said would you just take me seriously so listen to me about this listen to what I'm saying <clears throat> let's say you're dating someone and maybe you are in high school and you're dating someone and she's so beautiful and he's so cute and you're having dates, and now one of them are pressing. And I can't keep that person if I don't give in. One, somebody's pressing. So what should I do? Because I sure like him. I sure like her. 
Well, here's what the Bible is actually saying. You're a free moral agent. You're going to do that. You're going to get to make your own choice. But here's what God is saying. I want you to think of the long view instead of the short view because the short view won't work out. The truth is, in high school, you're not marrying that person. Maybe it's one in a million or one in 10 million. You're not going to marry that person. What you're going to do is the longer you date the person, you're going to find out how much of a jerk he is. He's got things wrong with him. You have no ideas. And she does too. And you're going to break up, and then you're going to go date somebody else and date somebody else and go off to college and date different people. Then you're going to find the person who truly loves you. You truly love that person, and you want to spend the rest of your life with. And God is saying this. Would you take the long view instead of the short view? Because the short view actually starts changing you. You don't even know it. You don't realize it. It's actually damaging you. It's actually changing you. You are, and you don't realize it. But until it's longer, and then all of a sudden you realize, I'm not the same person I used to be. It will change you. So take the long view, go my route, instead of the short view, and it will, it will protect you and preserve you. And you will be so happy when you get there. The same thing for extramarital, the same exact thing. Don't take the short view, take the long view. See all the people that you, you that will be so disappointed and you'll lose the respect of and, 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 and all of the damage and all the hurt and the wound. Don't go the short view. God is saying go the long view and you win, you win with the long view. You don't have to pray and say, okay, God, should I honor my parents? You don't have to pray that. Or should I treat my children well and treat them with love and kindness? Or, or should I treat my neighbor good? You don't have to pray any of those prayers. He's already told you the answer. Or you don't have to pray the prayer. God, uh, there is someone that I know that does not agree with me politically. How should I treat them? You don't even have to pray about it. How should I treat someone who doesn't agree with me morally and in fact lives a lifestyle very different from mine? You don't even have to ask God. You don't even have to ask God's will about how you should treat them. God, how should I treat someone from another country, speaks a different language, has a different shade of skin than I have? You don't even have to ask God because the Bible says in many places... We are to treat every single human being in our life respectfully and kindly and lovingly. How else do you lead someone to Christ? By treating them mean? Is that how you do it? How else do you, do, do you have a relationship with another person by being mean to them? You don't do that. This is a, now, you don't give up what you know the Bible is saying, but here is what. But the Bible is also saying we're to treat every human being respectfully and with kindness and with love. Take the long view. There is a verse that I was a pastor when I really got serious about the verse, and I know you're saying, you should have done that a little way before you became a pastor, I know. But there is a verse that I already believed, I knew was true, but I came to a place several years ago as a pastor to say, I'm not doing this well. And I've got to start doing this well. This was a key thing that Jesus was saying, and I'm giving lip service to it. It is Matthew 7, verse 12. Do unto others the way you want them 
to do to you. Not the way they do to you, but the way you want them to do to you. I started more seriously applying that verse in my life to relationships and and uh, all kinds of decisions that I was struggling over the decisions. I didn't have to struggle over the decisions. Why? Because here's what Jesus said. This was so smart. It was so wise. He said, here's how you'll know how to handle this situation with someone that, uh, some other person. You take your feet out of your shoes and you put your feet into their shoes. And now you see this from their viewpoint. You may still have to go forward. It may be difficult. But do unto others the way you would want someone to do to you. And you will always lead you in the right direction. Now, some people will take undue advantage of you if you do that. So you just need to know that. But most of the time, you'll be the winner. Most of the time, in fact, the whole time. You'll be the winner even if somebody abuses you. You will win in the end. Take the long view. What I'm saying is, is that we can know the will of God for most things in our lives by simply taking the Bible seriously. By simply taking the Bible seriously. There's another way in which we can know His will. I can know God's will by obtaining wise counsel. This is something that many people don't do, but maybe we ought to do it more often than we are. It'll only cost you a cup of coffee, about an hour of time. That's all it'll cost you, but it may actually be incredibly helpful. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 1.5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And you know when he says a man, he means all of us, every person. You should get wise counsel. Not counsel. There's a lot of no good counsel out there. Not counsel, but wise counsel. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, wise counsel, understand this. It doesn't mean somebody smarter than you. Who in the world could be possibly smarter than you? Nobody. We know that. It's not somebody that is smarter than you. It means someone who may have come across a passage in the Bible. This Bible, if you noticed how big it is, and maybe you haven't gotten to every part of it, and you don't know all the parts of it, but somebody else knows a part you don't know that could help you. Or maybe it is someone who has gone through what you're going through right now. And maybe they didn't do that good with it and they realized it and they learned from their mistakes and now they know better. Maybe they did perfect through it and they took God's word and they did what God said and now they can help you. It's not somebody smarter than you. It's somebody who's been through an experience you haven't been through yet. And everybody has that. You find somebody who takes the Bible seriously, applies it to their lives, and that is called wise counsel and use this more in our lives. There's a third principle and it's this. I can discover God's will through godly common sense through the book of Proverbs. That's pretty specific. So I want to tell you a story. I've, I've said it to you before, but I'm going to use a different context this time. You've heard this before, but it seems to fit here. Godly common sense. There was a man named Bill who bought a house in Houston, and he bought a house in the flood zone. It's a flood zone, but when does it flood? <laughs> Never. 
So he bought the house in a flood zone. It was at a better, good price, great price. And he thought, it's the flood zone, not gonna happen. Hurricane Harvey came. Now, 52 inches of water, and he started seeing all the water accumulate, and it started coming up in the yard. He got scared. He did everything he could do to keep the water out of the house, but he couldn't keep it out of the house, and into the house it came. And he was so disturbed, so upset. I prayed, oh God, please don't let it flood my house. Here it comes. This man now is praying, oh God, deliver me. God, rescue me from this moment. Save me. Water keeps coming and it keeps rising. Now it's two feet tall. Well, he didn't have a second floor to his house. It's a one-level house. So he decides, I can't leave. I can't get out of here now. I'm stuck. So he went up to the attic. And he's in the attic. And the flood waters just keep coming. The rain keeps coming. And now it's getting into the attic. And now he's scared to death. So he decides to cut a hole in the roof. And he climbs up on the roof. And the water keeps rising and keeps rising. You've seen pictures of these things. Keeps rising now house to the rooftop and a guy is coming by this man's praying oh god deliver me oh god do a miracle oh god save me rescue me and a guy comes by in a rowboat and he says i've got an extra seat hop into my rowboat oh i can't do that i've been praying for god to rescue me i'm waiting for god to rescue me i don't want to get ahead of god i'm going to wait for him i'm i know he's going to rescue me so the guy leaves and now the flood waters are halfway up the the roof of the house and a motorboat comes by hey i got an extra seat get in I'll rescue you oh no I can't do it I'm waiting for God to rescue me I'm waiting for a miracle to happen and so the guy leaves and now the water is all the way to the rooftop he is sitting on the rooftop oh God please rescue me and a helicopter comes by and lowers a a ladder and says just grab hold of the rope ladder and get on it and I'll take you to safety I can't do it I'm waiting for God to deliver me And the guy drowns. And he gets to heaven, and he's all upset. Goes up to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, I don't understand something. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I believed that you would rescue me, and you did not rescue me, and now I died, and I don't understand. And Jesus said, well, there's some things I don't understand. I sent you two boats and a helicopter, and you didn't take any of them. Now, the illustration is to say there's such a thing as common sense. Now, the Bible says there's common sense. There is a worldly common sense. This makes sense in the business world. You do things this way. If you've got to cheat, you cheat, and you got whatever. This makes sense in the business world. There is a worldly common sense. There is a heavenly common sense that the Bible calls wisdom. And God says, I'll give you wisdom, which means godly common sense, to deal with anything you face. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, any person lacks wisdom, ask of God, and who gives to everyone liberally wisdom, and abradeth not, meaning I don't criticize you for asking me, God says, I praise you for asking me. You bet I'll give you all the godly common sense you need to face your life. That's wisdom. Now, where can you find wisdom? You find it all over the Bible. But there was a man named Solomon that the Bible says was the wisest man who ever lived. 
Meaning he had more godly common sense than any other human being that ever lived on the planet except for Jesus. And Solomon was coming to the end of his life. He wanted to give his children a gift that would last a lifetime. So he wrote a book and he took all the godly common sense about every subject you could imagine, about life, just about life. He took all the teaching of the Bible about godly common sense and he reduced it into Proverbs and wrote it all into a book and handed it to his children, the book of Proverbs. And by the way, God is handing it to you and me as well. A whole book filled with godly common sense. It's sort of the microwave. See, there's sometimes you have to cook it by the oven like chicken. You don't want to cook that by microwave or uh, cinnamon rolls. It won't work out for you if you use a microwave with cinnamon rolls. You've got to use an oven. But there are some things you can use a microwave for. It's faster. It's just as good. And this is the microwave of godly common sense. It's called the book of Proverbs. So how do you do this? I've said this so many times, and here I am back again, but I'm just bound and determined to keep working with us on this thing. So let's talk about it. What is today? What is the day of the, uh, of the month? The 18th. I had heard mumbling, but I did hear one person say the 18th. It's the 18th. So read today Proverbs chapter 18. You, it, Proverbs is not a continuous story. It's independent chapter so you can start with a totally different chapter start with chapter 18 today now here's how you do it chapter 18 talks about uh, don't uh, don't say stuff you shouldn't say you need to be careful about your speech about what you say and how you say it it also tells tells us about how to work hard in our job it also says hey this one the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and are safe when you are facing an issue, run into God because he's a strong tower that will protect you and then you, the, the enemy will come and go and you will be safe. Then it talks about before you decide on something, don't just hear one side of the argument. Hear both sides of the argument before you make a decision. It's got all these principles. But I'm saying just pick one. So it might be in verse 2. And when you get past verse 2, you've got a principle. You don't have to read the rest of the chapter. You can if you want. It's only 5 or 10 minutes. But you're looking for one thing, one idea. Not 10 ideas, one. So maybe you say, you know what? Today, the Lord is a strong tower. I will run into it and be safe. God, I'm going to trust you. All day long today, I'm going to trust God no matter what happens to me. And that's my principle today all day long, just one principle. Tomorrow would be June what? 19th. I'm just checking. Do you understand the calendar? And you do. And it's the 19th. So you go to chapter 19. You're only looking for one thing. Maybe it's verse 5. That's all you're looking for. One thing, one principle. Okay, God, this is the principle. I dedicate this principle to you all day long. I'm going to live by this principle. You keep going, and you're all the way now to July 17, and you could say, I'm going to use the same one last, as last time, or I'm going to use another one. Today, I'm going to watch my mouth. I'm going to uh, bridle my tongue, and all day long, God, there are things I would have said, but I'm not going to say them, and I'm going to shut my mouth. 
Now, here's what happens. You say, well, shouldn't you be reviewing all the others? No, you don't have to. It's already there. The Holy Spirit's already put it in your heart, and he will bring it back to you. What you do is you go every day, one principle. You'll remember the others when you face issues, and then you'll respond. But the, today, it's this. I dedicate this day. What will happen to you is that, first of all, in the first month, you won't see one blooming change in your life. It's sort of like looking in a mirror. You look in a mirror today. You look one month from now. You don't really see any change you look in the mirror today you look next year and you are seeing change and it's not all that great sometimes you're seeing change so what I'm saying is this if you'll do this month after month after month I'm telling you one year from now you will be stunned at how much of the will of God you just instinctively know because you have put these principles of Proverbs in your life. Godly common sense. You will become the most common sense human being that your family has ever seen in their lives. And you will have gotten them all from the book of Proverbs. What Proverbs will do for you is show you how to better manage your money. It'll show you how to slow down your spending. It'll show you how to treat others in a right, fair, and just way. It'll show you a better time management, how to be a better employee, how to be a better boss, how to be better married. There's some things you should do to treat your spouse better, and you will find those things in the book of Proverbs. It'll show you how to treat your parents better, your children better, your neighbor better. Proverbs will show you how to slow down your life and actually enjoy living. Every day, look for one key idea, only one that you can do better that day. And if you'll do it for several months, new patterns will emerge that will cause you to live better by godly common sense. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize, I know the will of God already about that issue. I remember... It's in Proverbs somewhere that God taught me that. Here's the next. Follow the will of God. Is, following the will of God is usually more about a path than it is a decision. And I will tell you, it was a few years ago that this really came into my understanding. What happened was, well, we get the, the Bible is about helping us get on the right path. And what happened a few years ago is that I was, God was leading me to teach on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, <clears throat> about verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God and he will direct your path. So I, you've read this, you've memorized this verse, you've heard it so many times, and I had too. But now I'm going to teach it, so I'm really studying it, and here's what he's telling me. Trust God instead of yourself. Trust God, trust the Lord with all your heart. For common sense, about the will of God, for common sense. Don't lean in your own understanding because the worldly wisdom that will lead you will lead you astray every time and it will create damage in your life. No, don't do that. Don't lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. So what does that mean? God, uh, today, I just want to honor you all day long. 
And if I'm about to do something that's not going to honor you, I ask that you would just move in my heart and quicken my heart. I want to, I want to sense that Holy Spirit telling me, don't go there, and, and I'll stop. And God, I, I just think this is the right job. I got the job opportunity. Now I'm asking you to help me in this job to do the very best, be the best employee that I can be. I can do the great, best job I can do. And you've led me to get into this neighborhood. I think it's the right place. So I'm asking you to be help me to be the very best neighbor I can be in this location. In all your ways, acknowledge God. God, I just want your will. I want your heart. Lead me. I'm asking you to lead me. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And notice the promise. Listen to the promise. And he will direct your path. Not maybe, he will. As I was studying this passage and I was studying that promise, I came to an understanding. Wait a minute. It may be that the will of God is more about a path than a decision most of the times. On this path that God wants me to get on, it will be the direction he wants me to go. So listen, the more I submit to God's path for how to manage my finances and how to treat other people and how to protect my family and how to treat my wife and my children and how to protect my church and how to do my best in my career, God guides me in the right way. I'm on his path. I don't even sometimes know that God's doing it, but he is. He puts me in the right place at the right time. He opens doors and closes them. He causes people who don't even like me to bless me. They can't even help themselves. They didn't want to treat me nice, but they had to. And they ended up blessing me and helping me. And they couldn't help themselves. They just, could, they just did it. I can tell you that if you get on the path... God is there. He's there. I can't point to anything particular, tangible, and yet, if somehow I could pull back the curtain, I promise you, he'd be there. So many times about life, I've thought of it as this curtain behind me. And, and here is God moving things around. He's opening doors. He's, he's helping me. He's blessing me. I'm going down this path. Ooh, look at Mark going down my path. I'm going to help him. I'm going to take care of him. Oh, don't go that way. I will help him go the right way. And I've imagined that if I pull the curtain, there he is all the while. Even at times I don't feel him. Even at the times I don't even sense his presence. There he is. And this was his promise. You trust me. You don't lean your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me. And let me tell you, even when you don't know it, there I am. I'm guiding you. I will direct you in the right way. You get off the path, I'll tell you. And I will bless you. And I'll open doors for you. This is what I came to understand this verse to say. But along the way, there may be some times in which God gives me a rhema. R-H-E-M-A. He gives me a rhema. A rhema is a word from God for a particular moment that I need. It's rare. It doesn't happen uh, all that often. But sometimes 
God will give me a rhema for just the moment that I need. Let me give you an illustration. When Kathy and I were uh, young married, we discovered that we could not have children, natural born children. We'd heard that other people went through that, but we never dreamed it'd be us, and there we were. We uh, went to a doctor and got all the examinations. He said, I think you just need to accept the fact you're not going to ever have children naturally born, but you can adopt, and adoption is just as good. So, yay, we're open for that, but we couldn't qualify. We weren't making enough money. I was, a co- I was in seminary, and we were poor, and we were just trying to get through my master's degree, and We were really sad. I have to tell you, more than anything else in the world, I wanted to be a dad. More than anything. And since I was a teenager, I wanted to be a dad. We found out we, we couldn't be. Well, one day I went early to seminary. I was going to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and I went early and went into the prayer room, and I had my quiet time. And I was just going through the book of Genesis, not like I I cherry-picked a passage, but I came across the next passage was the story of Abraham and Sarah and God's promise that they were going to have a son named Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah were in the same, you know, couldn't have a natural-born child either. And I finished the Bible study and started my prayer. And look, my, I got good theology, and I already know God is everywhere. I already know that. But at that moment, he was in that room, in his known presence, like I had not experienced before. I couldn't explain it. I can't explain it to you now. I'm trying to stand here and explain it, but I can't explain it now. And I've got good theology. I already knew it was in the room, but that moment he was there, there. And he said to me, not in an audible voice, but he said to me in my heart, I'm going to give you and Kathy a naturally born son. And that's it. Well, uh, it was time for class. I didn't learn one thing in any class. I didn't hear any professor. I just was checking present, but I I didn't care what they were saying, and I wasn't taking any notes. I was trying to work through what I had just experienced, and I kind of worked through it all, and I could hardly wait to get home, and I got home. I told Kathy, I got great news for you. God told me in my quiet time today, we're going to have a natural-born son oh, great, this is fantastic. And then I was the one that came up with the idea. Let's go back to the doctor and let him tell us the good news. So we went back to the doctor, and he said, you're worse now than you were before, and you just don't need to come back. You're not going to have a natural-born son ever. Well, I wanted to get depressed, but I couldn't build it up because I was so convinced of what I had heard from God, and I knew that we were going to have a son but, you know, Abraham and Sarah, it took 25 years for them. And I did ask God specifically, could it not be 25 years? Could we do it quicker? Is it possible to do this faster? And so, but when all year, no child. Next year, next year, no child. Now, I'm pastoring a church at the same time and got all these young adults in this church. And we're just all these young families. And, and every Sunday, somebody was announcing they were pregnant. 
Oh, we're going to have a baby. And we're all, that's wonderful. And we did. We wanted them to have a baby. We wanted them to have a baby, but we couldn't have a baby, not right now. So we were trying our very best. And then one Sunday night, more announcements, babies, and it was Sunday night, and we just pretty much had our fill. And Kathy, we were, Kathy and I, after church on Sunday night, we were on the sofa. She had her head on my lap, and she was just weeping. just weeping. And then she stopped crying and she looked in my face and said, next Sunday, Mrs. Barnes is going to announce she's pregnant. Well, Mrs. Barnes is 83 and she's single and I I don't really think that's going to happen is what I'm thinking, but I didn't say a word. I kept my mouth shut. I, I understood the idea. I understood the idea. And then we were both feeling that. I don't know how long it was, three or four years. One day I got in the car and I'm headed out and I have the exact same moment that I had in my quiet time, the exact same moment. I'm in the car, I can see myself in that car and where my car was. And he was there and he said to me, the wait is over. Wow. I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to turn this car around and go tell Kathy. And then I thought, the last time I told her that I got a word from God, it's been four years and nothing, I think God and I are going to surprise Kathy (laughs) this time. I think we're going to make it, we're going to have a surprise. And the next month she was pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And we've had two naturally born sons and both of them have their own separate story of what happened. It's called a word from God that God takes a word from his word and applies it directly in your life and says, you know that promise? That's one's yours. I got a word when I first came here. And God said to me, pray that Sugar Creek look like this region. Because we didn't. And I'm a strategist. I try to put a strategy together. I couldn't come up with one. And so we just did what God said, pray, and God, look what God's done. It was a word from him. The Bible says in Acts 13, 2, that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Well, how do you think he said that to them? I'm not saying that God gives us words, a rhema all the time. I haven't, that hasn't happened for me. So here's what I want to say to you. I want to warn you about this. Test the spirit. 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear ones, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, what does it mean? Not everything that comes to your mind is from God. So don't automatically think it is. Be careful what, when you say God told me. Be careful about that. Be very careful about that. Does it match God's word? That's a test. Does it match the direction God has established for your life? That's a test. Keep it to yourself is my recommendation. And let, and let time test the spirits. That's my recommendation to you. <clears throat> now here's the last thing 
when I can't discover God's will and I need to know his will, but I can't discover his will, I can trust the Holy Spirit to pray for me and listen to what he, how he puts it. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to, accordance to God's will. This is the Apostle Paul that can't find the will of God. It's okay if there are times in your life you cannot discern the will of God. This is the Apostle Paul who can't. So what did he do? He prays and says, Holy Spirit, you know the will of God. I cannot find the will of God. Would you? Pray to the Father that the will of God be accomplished in my life. And the Holy Spirit's answer is yes. And there have been times that I've gone to the Holy Spirit and I've said, I cannot find the will of God. I've tried everything I know to do. And I'm asking, you know the Father's will. Would you pray the Father's will for me? And I will receive it. Praying the will of God will change your life. And it will change the results of your prayers. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge, oh God, we need you. We need your heart. We need to understand your way, your path. And we ask, Father, that you would take these truths and burn them into our heart so that we might better understand what you're doing, where you're wanting us to go, what you're wanting us to do in our lives, that we would better understand you're leading in our lives that we might follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.